Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. All right, so we clap three times, then we pretend like we're praying. <laughs> I love it. My kids weren't doing anything spiritual in that video. They're like, ah. Hey, it's good to have you here. I'm, I'm just excited that you're here for Friends Sunday, and let me let you in on a little secret. Easter is in 14 days, and I would love to invite you back for Easter, so come on back to celebration. If you don't have a church home or you don't have a plan for Easter Sunday, Come join us for Easter. We would love to have you. All right? I was excited about it. I don't know. But here we go. So, so we've been in the, in the middle of a, a collection of sermons. The way we do preaching around here at Celebration Church is we tend to put them in collections. So that might be uh, a book of the Bible. It could be a subject. It could be like a certain character in Scripture or like a group of biblical characters. Um, so, so we like to kind of change the way we approach um, the, the sermons, but we do them in groups. And today we are wrapping up a collection of messages out of the book of John. Uh, and what we're talking about is called the seven signs in the book of John. So in the Bible, there are four books that are called Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Gospels are, are simply books that tell the story of Jesus' life. And the first three Gospels tell what we call a synopsis, or they, they give the big idea, the overarching story of Jesus' life. And the last one, it's called John, it doesn't do that. So John actually doesn't tell the story of Jesus' life from beginning to end. In fact, John will switch the location of different stories. He'll do whatever he feels like because John has an agenda. I love people with agendas. You know, I love, it, I love it when I know what someone's agenda is. You know what I'm saying? Somebody come talk to you. They're talking all sweet, super nice, and you're just like just waiting for the other foot to like, just ask me. Just ask me. I know it's, but, but John does that. John has an agenda. John says it like this. He says, if I was to write just the story of Jesus, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain everything there is to say. Instead, John says this, I'm writing the things that I write so that you would believe. John has an agenda. His agenda is not so that you would know about Jesus. His agenda is that you would believe in Jesus. And so John believes that including the stories he includes, somehow those stories have a divine power to help us place our faith in Jesus. And so John is, is a little different in that way. Uh, John also doesn't call the miracles of Jesus miracles. The other gospels all call them miracles. In the book of John, the word miracle is only used one time, and it's Jesus kind of accusing people of chasing miracles. He's like, you guys are looking for miracles. 
John doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. They're the same thing. It's a miraculous move of God. The difference is John points out that we're not supposed to focus on the ooh and the awe of God working in our life. Those things are meant to point us towards the Lord. So if the Lord has ever answered a prayer in your life, if the Lord has ever done a miracle in, in your life, if the Lord has ever been there when you needed him, John is saying, don't just stop at the moment that God did something for you. Look at it as a sign towards the God that cares. It's a beautiful thing. So today we're wrapping up the, the very last sign of the book of John. You could call them a miracle, but in John it's a sign. And it's a sign about somebody that is actually Jesus' friend. In Jesus' travel, he would travel from uh, a lake called Galilee, and he would travel down the, the river, the Jordan River, and he would cross from Jericho into Jerusalem. He did this several times in his lifetime, and every time he did it, he would stop just on the hillside outside of Jerusalem, two miles, about a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem, on the top of a hill, there's a city called Bethany. And that's where Jesus would stop and he would interact. He ended up developing friends there. And uh, these people are mentioned several times in scripture. This is Jesus, how he's interacting with a friend. And um, Jesus is a little strange when it comes to friends. I just want to say that. This passage is in John chapter 11. Uh, It really takes up the entire chapter. Uh, But I'm not going to do the entire chapter. I'm just going to do portions so we don't stay here five hours. Unless you want that. We can, anybody, five hour, five, no. (laughs) Okay, it says this, John chapter one, verse one. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and he wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not be to death. Sorry, he says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. When Jesus says this, he says, no, the sickness will not end in death. It's for God's glory. He's showing us the purpose of everything in life. Like, if you're wondering what the purpose of your life is, the purpose of your life is to give God glory. Whatever you do in life, the purpose is to give God glory. And we, in our search for significance and our search for what's my meaning, what's my purpose, we often get the wrong answer. So we think my purpose in life is my marriage, but your marriage is actually designed to be a tool to give God glory. Like we think that my career or my bank account is the goal in life, and your bank account and your career are not the goal in life. They're simply tools that you're supposed to use to give God glory. My talent, you're maybe a a really talented person. Your talent is like, I was made to dance, right? (laughs) You don't want to see this white boy dance. That's all I'm saying. I grew up in an old school church where we didn't dance at all. So like when when we're at weddings, I'm always like, "Mm, I don't know what to do. I need dance lessons. I need dance. So, but here's the deal. Like, like that's an incredible talent, an incredible gift, but it's not your purpose in life. 
dance lessons. Okay, it's, it's, not, it's not your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is to give God glory. And you may do that through dance. You may do that through your career. You may do that through your marriage. But that's the purpose in life. And, and what's, what's really interesting is, is they come to Jesus and they say, Lazarus is sick. And what's so interesting about that is simply the name Lazarus means God has helped. So what they're saying is God has helped is sick. Like God has already helped in the past, but now it's sick. God showed himself before, but now it's sick. I, I, I don't know everyone in this room's story. Certainly I don't. But I know there are some men and some women in this room that God has helped you in the past, but right now you just feel very distant from that. And that's okay. That's what the story of Lazarus is about. Somebody who knew Jesus, had been around Jesus, he had helped him, but now he was sick. It says this in verse 5, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was, which is just, like, Jesus is not modeling the best of friendships at this moment. He's really not. Like, oh, you have an emergency? Great. I'm going to just relax. I'm going to you know, get, find a cabana somewhere and just relax by the Jordan River. Like, it's going to be amazing. Uh, I, I was thinking about this. I, I didn't show this to first service, but I've got this picture that's been in my office, this uh, picture my sister made years ago for me. It's, uh, I don't know if you can see it, but it's, it's a canoe, uh, somebody in a canoe taking a picture of someone uh, that is canoeing ahead of them. The person right here, the, the one that's canoeing, that's me. And the person who's taking the picture is my brother-in-law, Toby. One year we were hunting in, in Alaska. In, I'm from Alaska. And we were, I, how do you know if somebody's from Alaska? Don't worry about it. We're going to tell you. Yeah. So, uh, so we were hunting on this river called the South Chacket. It's this slough is all it is off of a large really muddy river, and uh, it's, it's slow moving. So we floated the length of this slough, and it took us probably five days in canoes to float down this thing. And uh, we, passed, we passed the only moose we saw on the trip. We passed it in the first half an hour. We saw it. We said, nah, we'll see more. Didn't see more. And um, so it was just one of those trips, you know. <clears throat> and at the end of the trip, my friend that was supposed to pick us up at the bottom of the slough uh, I, I had some cell reception, and I called them, and I said, hey, we've been taking beautiful pictures, and we've been living this romantic thing of, of canoeing in the wilderness, and now we want to go home. And he said, you know, I had some stuff come up, and now I can't come get you. <laughs> it's like, a two-month trip to the Beaufort Sea is now what's going to happen, right? Like, we're going to be on the river. Like, we should be on the show alone where you get money to do this. Like, we're st I remember being so angry because he was like, no, nah, I'm not going to come get you. I'm just going to wait. It wasn't until his dad heard later that evening that he was leaving us stranded on the river that his dad was like, no, you're getting the boat, and you're going to go get them right now. This is what Jesus is doing. He's leaving them stranded. He's not, he's not responding to the urgency of the re The request is the one that you care about, the one you're close friends with is sick. And Jesus is like, I'll be there. 
It's like waking, I got three school-age children. It's like waking them up every morning. Time to get up. I am. Get up and take a shower. I am. Get dressed. I am. It's like, you know, you, you don't know what am means. Am means you are putting the clothes on your body. I am. Or like you tell them like, hey, would, <laughs> I love my kids. Or you tell them like, hey, would you mow the lawn? Or would you do the dishes? Would you help her? Would you make yourself useful, right? <laughs> and the response is, I'll be there in a minute. I didn't ask you to be there in a minute. I said, the lawn needs mowed now. Like, let's go mow. I'll be there. I will. That's what Jesus is doing. That's essentially what Jesus is doing. I'll be there in a minute. Which is quite frustrating, isn't it? How many of us have prayed, we've asked God to move in an area of our life, and it feels like Jesus is saying, I am. (sighs) My child has lost their mind. I am. And, and, And so Jesus talks to his disciples, and his disciples are like, we need to, uh, Jesus is actually suggesting they go the opposite direction. And his disciples tell him, you don't want to do that. We're, they're going to kill you. They want to kill you over there. We're not going that way. We're, 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 we're not going to do that. And so Jesus stays. It's, it's, like, it's like Jesus, it feels as though, when you're reading this text, it feels as though Jesus is driving his car and doesn't know where he's going. Has anybody ever driven with someone? You're driving down the road, and and you know you're going to somewhere in Meridian, and they're taking off towards Wilder. You know, they're just they're just headed out, and you're like, where 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 are you going? It feels like you're going the wrong direction. I want to say, if you live for God for any length of time, it will feel like He's going the wrong direction from what you're expecting Him to do. There will be times that you ask the Lord to intervene in a situation, or there will be times that you ask the Lord to uh, help address maybe something inside of you, maybe an insecurity, or, or maybe you struggle with anger, and you're like, God, help me with this thing. And it feels as though he's like, hey, look, a squirrel. And then it says this, it says in verse 11, after, these, after saying these things, he says to them, so he's still away from his sick friend. He says to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And his disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. <laughs> like it's not a big deal. If he's asleep, not a big deal. And Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Jesus talks in riddles sometimes, and his what I love about the disciples is they don't usually understand what Jesus means. Jesus is using like deep meanings, double meanings of words, and they're like, oh, he's sleeping, he's good. And Jesus is like, no, idiots, he's dead. That gives me hope because there's times I'm reading my Bible and I recognize I read like the same paragraph over and over and over again. I'm like, I'm not getting it. Thank the Lord. I'm in good company with some disciples that also didn't get it. In good company. Jesus is trying to give them this this great analogy that he's sleeping and I'm going to go awaken him because I'm the Lord of de- like I'm the Lord that has power over death I'm the the resurrection and the life but but they don't understand it that's how it happens often isn't it 
God is trying to tell us something. But we hear him, but we don't necessarily listen to what he's saying. We hear him, but we don't listen to the meaning behind what he's saying. Because there's a difference between hearing and listening. Uh, I, I used to feel like the, the weight of, of preaching was all on me to, to some, like somehow change somebody's life through getting up here. The Bible says the foolishness of preaching, right? Like, like it, was, it was all the weight of transformation in someone's life is on me being a good communicator somehow. And then one day I realized this simple concept. There's a huge difference between hearing and listening. Like, you can hear, like, you can hear something said and not listen to what is actually being said. And when I realized that in preaching, I realized that that's the reason why two people can be in the same church service. One person walk away and say, oh, that was an interesting thought. And another weeping, saying, oh, my goodness, you wouldn't believe what God just did in my life. Because one person was listening, another person was just hearing. It changes everything. I'll have people come in and say, Pastor, that was the best sermon you ever preached. And I'll be like, I don't think we were in the same room. <laughs> I wanted to like crawl into a hole halfway through the sermon. But what's going on is it wasn't the best sermon I preached. It was the best sermon they listened. There's a, there is something very important in uh, like our own responsibility in our spiritual life of engaging in what is being said, engaging in what God is doing, not just being passive and sitting by, but actually engage, like chewing on it, wrestling with it. That's, that's very important in our walk with God, listening, not just hearing. And, and this will help you in any area of your life. You will do better in your job. You will be a better employee when you listen rather than just hear. You will be a better husband if you listen rather than just hear. Hey, come on, ladies, get with me on that one. Ah, he's in the word. I knew we were supposed to come to church. I'm like, Pastor, you're throwing me under the bus. No, I'm serious. Have you ever been in an argument with your, with your wife and you're like, you're like, we don't argue at all, whatever. And you're like, go, you're having intense fellowship and going back and forth. And then finally she's like, fine, do whatever you want. And you're like, oh, great. Like she gets me. No, don't do whatever you want. That was not freedom. That was not liberty. That was a threat. You got to listen. You don't, don't just hear what's being said. And some of us, the reason we struggle to listen to the things of God is simply because we've never been in a position in life where we can listen. And some of us right now in this room have gone through some things over the past couple of years that have been very difficult. And could it just be that the, the situations in your life that you are wrestling with, that you've been struggling with, are actually the very mechanism that allows you to go beyond hearing, to actually listening to what God says. I'm saying, could it be that you losing your job 
had a deeper significance, like, like it actually is used for God's glory in making you able to listen. Could it be that you having your pride crushed a little bit was actually a tool that God is using to allow you to listen? Could it be that he broke your heart and moved on? Is, is, it has a greater purpose in your life because now you're in tune with, I need to hear from God. Could it be that the brokenness you may experience right now is really about getting you to a place where you can listen to what God is saying in your life? Because we all go through things in life. We all go through struggles in life. John chapter 16, verse 33 says it like this. I have said, this is, this is a promise from, anybody want a promise from Jesus? Come on, church. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Anybody want peace? And then he says this, in this world you will have tribulation. Put that on your refrigerator. Get a tattoo over your heart. Bible verse. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is giving us a promise. The promise is he wants to be able to give you peace. And then there's a big problem. The problem is that in life, you're going to experience tribulation and trouble. But attached to that on the other side, sandwiching the trouble is another promise from God that he's already overcome the world. I'm saying that you're going to experience difficulty, you're going to experience trouble, but he's promised you peace and his peace comes because he has already overcome the world. So in that struggle, in that difficulty, you can actually hear and listen to the voice of God because the struggle is really the mechanism between the promise of God. What I find so interesting about Lazarus is this. Lazarus already has a relationship with Jesus. A lot of times we come running to the Lord when we're in trouble. Lazarus has already been developing a conversation with Jesus. He's been talking to Jesus when he didn't need Jesus. I just want to encourage you today. If, if maybe you're in this room and you're like, I'm good. I'm not in a struggle situation. That's great. But it would be very wise of you to begin developing a conversation with the Lord because the promise of Jesus is this, that in this world you will have trouble. And when that trouble comes, you want to know him on a first name basis. You, you, you want to know his personhood. You want to know who he is. So he's with you through the struggle. So Jesus is, he's telling his disciples that, that Lazarus has died, which is, which is actually pretty crazy, right? Because Jesus had just told them, this is not going to end in death. This will not end in death. And then the messenger comes back. He's like, ah, Jesus, Lazarus just died. <laughs> Like, okay, can somebody get on the social media page and delete that post? <laughs> he says this will not end in death. And I think it's really interesting because when, when Jesus or when Lazarus dies, there have been some clues already laid. 
like some blues clues have already been left out for, for the gals, for Mary and Martha to know what's going to happen. They're like, we just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder what it says. Jesus, he gave them a clue. He said, this will not end in death. He said, the sickness will not end in death. Now, what they heard was different because they heard they didn't listen. They, they heard he won't die. Jesus never said, he won't die. Jesus says, it won't end in death. Which means if they had listened and they had understood what Jesus said, they could have been at the hospital room. The doctor could have come over and said, I'm sorry, but Lazarus has passed on. It's time to make final arrangements. And They could have just sat there and been like, all right. And the doctor's like, I, I don't think you heard me. Lazarus has passed. Okay. Uh, this is, this is, uh, okay, so we, um, I need to bring somebody in here to count. No, 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 okay, we'll go to the vending machine. We'll be right back. Like, like because if they had understood what Jesus said, they would have known that death is not final. Jesus is actually foretelling his own death. He's saying this, that death does not have the final say, that the believer has power over death, that in Christ Jesus, we have overcome death and the grave. Like, there's some powerful truth there. But these girls, they didn't, they didn't quite hear the truth because they, they, they feel as though they have prayed and Jesus didn't answer. And that's a frustrating place to be when you pray, you ask God for something, and God doesn't answer your prayers. It's a really difficult thing when you've raised your children in the way of the Lord that they won't depart from it, and they depart from it, and you're like, what in the world? I thought this was a promise from God. What do you do when, when you've been faithful in your marriage and you just believe that if you were faithful and true in your marriage, everything would be good and then somehow faithfulness on the other end doesn't look like faithfulness on your end and you wonder, God, I, I, I thought you had answers for me. What do you do? What do you do? Because they thought he wasn't going to die. Can I, can I get a, um, can I get a, just one volunteer? Can I get one volunteer? I'm going to bring you up. Come on, come on, come on. Can I get another, just, a, just one more? Come on, I'll just have you come right on up. Let's just do this. Come on, come on, we got some brave men. Let's go. Hey. Hey, you know, what I, you know what I love about this church? Seriously, one of the things I love about our church is we got men. You know what I mean? Like, we got manly men. And uh, so um, does anybody have uh, like a paper, some sort of paper, um, like a, a, does anybody, what do, you, what do you have, Samson? Oh, come on, come on, Samson, let's go. Come on, man, come on, yeah. How about you just come up here and help me? Come on. <laughs> You're good looking, come on. <clears throat> so, so, so Lazarus dies. Okay, so I'm sorry, brother, but, but you're going to be Lazarus right now. You're going to be Mary. Oh. <laughs> Come here, Martha. 
let's, let's give it up. Now, they've prayed. They, they asked Jesus. They said, Jesus, will you, would, you, would you do a work? Would you, would you do something here? And I'm sure when he died, they were devastated. They're, they're going to start wrapping him. He dies, and, and they're, they're devastated. Let's, let's go. That looks good. You didn't know we were going to humiliate you with toilet paper at church. On... <clears throat> it wouldn't be the first time. He's like, I, I went to youth group as a kid. Um, <clears throat> but when he dies, they were devastated. And, and when they're burying him, they're, they're, their very heart was ripped. I mean, everything they had hoped in was there, and now they're closing the door on what they believed was the promise from God. <laughs> you guys have too much fun. <laughs> they, they, they're closing the door. And there, there's men and women in this room today, you, you believed that God had instructed you to start a business. And you stepped out on faith. Keep going. They're like, all of it? All of it. All of it. He's dead. We got to cover him up. And um, you, you started a business stepping out on faith, and then it seems to, to not be fruitful. And you're wondering, what, what in the world? And, and as you're closing the door, as you're finishing the books, as you're turning the key to the, to the, the suite back in, it's just this grieving process. It's difficult. When you finally sign the papers that say it's over, when, when you had hoped it had been different, it's hard. You guys are going to stay up here because you're good looking. And there's, there's, a, there's a thin line between anger and sadness. And, and we see that in this text. It says this in, in verse 19. It says, so many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Two things are happening. One, Mary doesn't even want to go see Jesus. We're talking about Mary, the one that sat at the feet of Jesus, the one that chose a better portion. Right now, she doesn't want to see him. And Martha is saying, like, I'm just going to go meet him outside. He doesn't even need to come in. We expected him to do something in our lives. He didn't show up. I'm just going to go meet him outside. Martha goes out to meet him, and she says this. She doesn't say, hi, how was your trip? I'm so glad you came. Thank you for the flowers. She doesn't say any of that. She says this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That sounds like a little bit of sadness, but it also sounds like quite a bit of frustration as well. And then just a few verses later, she goes back to her sister Mary. It says this, and, and she had said, uh, and after she had said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside and she says, the teacher is here. She said, and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly. How many men know that's not a good thing? And she got up quickly and she went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still outside at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up, she went out, and they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him, she fell at his feet, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
God, if you would have showed up, that business I started for my family wouldn't have fallen apart. God, if you'd shown up, that marriage that I placed all my hope in wouldn't have fallen apart. God, if you just showed up, those kids that I raised for you, I wouldn't be wrapping them up right now. They've got unmet expectations. That's what's going on here. There's, there's unmet expectations. What do you do with God when, when you're mad at God? How do you pray when you're mad at God? How do you call on a God that doesn't seem to answer the cries of your heart? What do you do? You go for a long walk? What do you do? You go up on a mountain and scream as loud as you can? Get in your car and grab the steering wheel 10 and 2 and just drop the worst words you can think of as loud as you possibly God can handle your, your pain. He can handle your frustration. Look, what do you do? Like, do? Well, that's it, God. I'm giving you the silent treatment. No quiet time today. <laughs> you know, is that what you do? I'm just not going to read my Bible. Mm, going to show you. Here's what we do. When we're disappointed by God, we stop coming to church. It's been years it's been years since you've been faithful in the house of God because you're like, he didn't answer my prayer. I'm out. And the reason the expectations are not met is because often unmet expectations are really unspoken expectations. They're often unspoken. They tell Jesus, they say this super vague thing. They say, Jesus, the one that you love is ill. The one that you love is sick. Which, that's not really a prayer. It's really quite vague, isn't it? The, the one that you love is ill. And what they're saying behind that, remember, we're listening. We're not just hearing. What they're really saying is this. If, if the one that you love is ill, then if you love him, you will heal him and if you heal him, that's how we'll know you love him. That's, that's what we experience all the time, isn't it? We, we think, like, God, if you love me, you will answer this situation in my life. You will heal this need in my life. <clears throat> but the truth is, it, it can be misleading when we believe that God demonstrates his love by giving us a nice house. God, if you love me, you'll give me a nice house. Does that mean God doesn't love people in Ukraine? God, God if you love me, you'll give me a better car. And God's like, get better credit. God, if you love me, you'll give me the job I've always wanted. And God's like, work as unto the Lord. Be, because we all have love languages. 
We have languages we speak through. So for me, my, my love language is this. You come up to me and you're like, hey, Roger, like I, I don't care if you call me Pastor Roger, Roger, whatever you call, what, call me what you want to call But just don't be mean. And, <clears throat> but if, you're, if you say something nice, like a compliment, like, hey, your hair looks good. And you don't do like sending pictures of Jimmy Neutron while I'm preaching. Like, <laughs> that's not helpful. Like when people, when people say nice things, I'm like, whoo, like I feel good. Like, man, you did so good when you did that thing. I'm like, yeah, like I, I'm your friend. I, I'm your ride or die. I'll take a bullet for you. You say something nice about me, like let's go. Like let's, you go to my wife and you're like, hey, you look really pretty. She'll be like, thank you. But she's not going to be like, oh, thank you. She's going to be like, thank you. And? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, because her love language is not words of affirmation. My wife, if, if you, you walk, like somebody, during first service, somebody walked in and they, they gave her a jar of honey. My wife was like, oh, like gifts. Oh, my God. It's amazing. She's like, I'm your ride or die. Like, where are we going? Who said what? Let's go. She's rolling up her sleeves like, let's take on hell. Like, let's go. Like, I'm with you till the end. Like, for her, like, you, you give her a gift. She's like, oh, I feel so loved. And, and we think that God is looking for us. Like the way he shows us love is through always answering prayer. It's not, how he, it's not how he shows love. The way God shows love, his love language is trust. Because we believed that faith is this purple blob we used to get him to do stuff. That's not what faith is. Faith is trust. Whether he does it or he doesn't do it, Faith is trust, and so God's love language is trusting him even when Lazarus is dead, even when the marriage is on the rocks, even when you're closing the door on the business. Trusting him is his love language. My, my kids, they, they define love as staying up late at night, playing Fortnite, eating ice cream. You know, I'll, up until 12.30, playing Fortnite, eating ice cream. That's love. And as a dad, I'm like, actually, no, bedtime is 8.30 on the dot. You know what I'm saying? Because mom and dad need a couple hours without you. <laughs> Best thing you can do for your marriage is put those suckers to bed early. <clears throat> and you're going to eat your vegetables. And it's not because I hate you. It's actually because I love you. And so you're going to deal with difficulty, not because I hate you, but because I know that the difficulty itself will build something inside of you. I'm saying God's love language is trust. It's eating the vegetables. It's going to bed early. Like God has a plan for our lives that is bigger than the things we always go after. But these girls have unmet expectations. And it says this, when Jesus saw, as a band would come, Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews would come along with her also weeping. And it says, and he was deeply moved. So you've been, you guys, you guys okay? Like, yeah. No, you're going to be all right. You're, you're dead right now, though. It says this, when Jesus, it says, when Jesus hears them weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. That is one word, 
deeply moved in spirit and troubled because there's not an English word for what's going on there. What's going on there, it's a word that's not used in the New Testament. It's only used here and then in another passage I'm about to show you. It's actually a word from classical Greek literature and it describes the snort of a racehorse. That's, what the, that's the word they use, is a, the snort of a horse that's ready to just let loose. The, a horse that's just, just, just pawing at the ground, ready to go. <sighs> Jesus is troubled, but he's not like weeping troubled. He's like troubled. Because when we think things have ended, he's like, I didn't tell you you wouldn't die. I said it wouldn't end in death. And if he's dead... Oh, here comes the end. That's what he's saying. And then just a few verses later, it says this, then Jesus, again, deeply moved like a racehorse, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and the stone lay against it, and Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. And the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. You smell good, brother. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Even when things seem ended, even in the areas of our life that seem over, the chapters that are closed, he's saying, don't you know that if you trust, you will see the glory of God? And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come forth. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound in toilet paper. He, he comes out. Can you give me a little hop? There we go. There we go. He comes, he comes out hopping. Hands and feet still bound. He's breathing. He is now alive. He's still bound. There's some people in this room right now, you walked in this room still bound. Like Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. The Bible doesn't say, like, while you were asleep in your sins. It says, while you were dead in your sins and your trespasses, Christ died for you. Like, he came to give you a new life. The problem is, you can be breathing still bound. And Jesus has an incredibly practical next step because he does this. He does the supernatural. He raises a man from the dead and then gives a very practical next step. He says this, hey guys, let's take that off of him. It's not, shake it off. <laughs> you don't, yeah, we don't, yeah. <laughs> 2020, April of 2020, this would be a terrible thing. Come on. What, what brings him to life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God uses people to set people free. God's plan for your life is yes, he wants to bring people that are dead in their sins back to life. But then his plan is, I want to bring them around other believers who will pull the linen that's holding them down. I, I want to take a dead person, make them alive, and then set them free from death to life 
to freedom. Come on, let's give these guys a hand. Let's go. Let's go. This is what makes the church so amazing because the church is not full of perfect people. It's not full of people that have their acts together. It's full of people that were dead. They were brought to life. Jesus renewed the inside of them. And then when they started rubbing shoulders with other believers, they were able to be set free. You don't have to have a Bible school degree. You don't have to have all kinds of accolades. You don't need a plaque on your wall. What you need is this, to be from dead to life to free. Would you stand with me across the room? Jesus, we trust you in this room. Lord, there are expectations that we've placed in front of you sometimes, but Lord, in spite of our disappointment, in spite of our frustration right now, Lord, I trust you with that child that's gone astray. I trust you with that business venture that didn't work out like I had hoped. I trust you, God, with everything that's going on in my life right now. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you with my finances. I trust you with my mental health. I trust you, Jesus. In this room right now, I'm gonna call out two different groups of people. The first group is this. You recognize that, like when I said, dead in sin and trespass, you, you recognize that's you. Like you just need to be brought back to life in Christ. There's things in your life that just completely crush you and they keep you from being alive in God. And you're ready right now to, to come alive in God. You're you're ready to to make yourself right with God, to be right with him. If that's you, you you just want to get right with Jesus. You just need to come alive. If that's you, would you put your hand up? Can Can I see a bold hand? Come on. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about, bold hands. Listen, come on. That's good. That's good. It's simple. Coming alive is simple. We repent and we believe. And we believe. Repent looks like this. We turn away from the things in our life that we think, do, or say that don't please God. And we believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when we do this, the blood of the Son cleanses us from all sin. He pulls us into a right relationship or conversation with God. If you raised your hand or maybe you're ready to go from death to life right now, I just want you to pray with me. Just something like this. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. Lord, I don't need some preacher to tell me what they are. I know what they are. I'm turning from it right now. Turning away from it. Would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus died, was buried, that he rose again on the third day. And right now, this morning, I'm placing all of my faith and all of my hope in him. Say these words, Jesus, be the Lord of my life and I will follow you every day that I live. And there are men and women in this room right now that for you, you're alive, but you're still bound. 
I'm going to pray for you right now. Would you just kind of raise your hands? Lord Jesus, would you set them free? Lord, would you break the bonds of captivity in their lives? Lord, that every stronghold of addiction would be broken right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Freedom in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray right now for mental health. Lord, the depression would be broken and that the light of Christ would be revealed in someone's life right now in the name of Jesus. Come against every thought of suicide. God has a plan for you. He has a hope. He has a future for you. In Jesus' name. But church, listen, the, the setting free peace is actually not just a prayer. It's actually allowing yourself to get around other believers. This is why as a church, we do groups. We do life together because we believe this is a great environment, but it's not where the real transformation happens. The transformation happens when people know me and people pray for me and, and, and people know where I fall. People begin pulling those rags off of you. That's where transformation happens. Let's not be the kind of people that allow Christ to, to bring us to life, but then we never get around other believers to be set free. Is that all right? Come on, church. If your faith is in Christ and you need to be set free, here's your next step. You need to find a church to belong to. It could be this church, it could be another church, but you need a home. You need a place where you are known and loved and cared for. And you need to have a community. We, here we do groups. You've gotta find a place where you can get in someone's living room and you can pray for each other, you can eat food together, you can just spend time together. That's how the chains come on. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys and let's continue to love God, love people and change the world.